0: Well, welcome back, friends. So glad to have you with us this morning. Um, we, If you are just joining us for the first time or maybe have popped in a couple of times, uh, we have been in the book of Job uh, for the summer semester. And we have talked about how Job is um, one of the three books of wisdom literature, along with Proverbs mm-hmm. and Ecclesiastes. Uh, And we're um, looking at the book of Job through the lens of wisdom literature, but also looking at it through a lens of um, answering the question, where is God in suffering? And uh, we've been really digging into the text, and we've been looking at uh, how Job is responding to to his suffering, and we've been looking at how Job's friends uh, have been responding to Job's suffering as well, and having some great conversation about that. Um, And this week, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, We'll dig back into the text next week, and we'll get into God's response to Job, which I'm really excited about. But I wanted to take this week um, to kind of address something that's been um, plaguing me, honestly, uh, for a few weeks now as we've looked into this. Um, And that is the question, how is Job able to bring his true self to God even when counseled not to? What is it that makes Job so sure that he can bring all of his questions and all of his doubts and all of his anger and all of his frustration to God, even when every one of his friends is telling him, no, 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 you can't do that. Um, And I am curious about this question because I long to be a person like Job who does feel confident doing that. But I often find myself saying to myself some of the same things that Job's friends say to him. Oh Um, you know don't bother God with that or um, that's that's something you need to do on your own Uh, there's lots of ways that I talk myself out of bringing my full self to God and so I wanted to dig into a little bit more um, what is it that gives Job this almost audacity to be his true self in front of God Uh, and so I don't know that I have any of the answers to that but uh, I wanted to wrestle with that with you guys and uh, and see if maybe you guys were also wrestling with that and how we could um, encourage and be there for one another um, in the midst of um, in the midst of um, trying to deepen our relationship with God. So uh, what do you guys think? How is Job able to bring his true self to God, even when counseled not to? Yes. Um, well, first off, was he was already
1: practicing.
0: Oh. Um, already, at the beginning
1: of Job, the counsel, awesome for God for his children, even when his children mm-hmm. may not need it um, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't seem to be doing anything wrong, but he's always in constant communication with God. Um, before the survival um, so I think he already has that relationship though he's not going to it just in times of need, yeah. or just when he's feels so like he can't handle it. Although I'm in the same road to you feel like my issues are trivial. So yeah, that's a great point. Yes.
2: I, I can't remember how old Joe was. Did the, the tech saying, how
0: I don't believe it does.
2: The, uh, on Broadway, he was like 80. Oh. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: uh, I think he's old enough, and I'm old enough to figure out that I can't fix it. Mm-hmm tried and screwed that up pretty royally and so if I can't fix it at a pragmatic level I guess the last sort of your last effort here has been okay God I'm going to have to acknowledge your here, and that if I can't fix it it's kind of like our country and our world right
1: now
2: I I can't fix it Mm. and so coming to be dependent on God sometimes is just a pragmatic process
0: in one's life. Yeah. Mm, I love that. That's great.
3: Yes. And trying into the question here a little more, um, is there kind of an assumption here that if I'm being totally open to God, I'm being disrespectful to God? Oh. Is that kind of a a, Mm. a an agenda to that? How can I express the depth of how I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. To, without coming across as being disrespectful or, yeah. or non subservient to? Is, is, that, is that the
4: struggle? Is that, or is there something
0: more? I, I definitely think that's one of them, and, and his friends point to that um, in, in their sort of rebuttals to him.
5: Um. And, I, and I feel like that's one of the things that, and, I, and I've said this a couple of times, right, that it's one of the things that the author, the poet, is giving us permission to do, right, is, is to look at Job and say that it is okay mm-hmm. to express these kinds of concerns to God. What, what did I do, God? Did I really deserve this? Yeah.
0: The Psalms are full of that too. There's a there's a line in one of the Psalms, I forget which one, but it literally says, God, get your hands out of your pockets and do something. Uh, and the first time I read that, I was like, oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know you could be a man after God's own heart and talk to God like that, but I guess you can.
6: Um, Basically, what's already been said, uh, I have come to the world using God created set to set things up set up the fiscal laws and he's allowing it to work out and sure. he can't intervene but my view is and this is quite different from a lot of people that I don't I don't argue with anyone I'm just telling you the way I'm informed God allows things to happen that he doesn't usually intervene or cause it to happen. Mm-hmm. So he didn't cause the treatment in New Orleans. That's just the way the world operates with plate like tectonics and so forth. Uh, when uh, I stepped off the roof to my hip, God didn't cause that. That's just, that's me, the human condition. Mm. Um, I mean, I hope that when really bad things happen, and I've had a great life, so I don't, have any, I don't have any plans, but I hope that I'll continue that view that God is God, and He does not cause these individual events. And we are good. Sort of in line with that, we heard Luke Northworthy a few weeks ago. Uh, he's preaching at uh, Westover Church in Austin. Mm-hmm. And he has a book called God Over Good. And the real thing with that book is that we need to live up, we need to give up our expectations of God. And sometimes we expect God to do something, mm-hmm. and then we, we're disappointed or we lose our faith in God because things don't work out like we expect yeah. so we need to lose our expectations of God doing everything just like we want yeah Yeah, that's
0: great Um, and so some similar questions Um, what does Job believe about God? What do Job's friends believe about God? And what is the book of Job telling us about who God is? Anybody want to chime in on any one of those? Yes
3: Uh, one thing I've I read and picked up on was um, uh, the between God and Satan. And Satan said, does Job fear God for nothing? And um, I think there's obviously a spectrum of fear. And just you know, generalizing through the Bible, I think God says, yes, you should fear me, but you shouldn't rule your life. <clears throat> you know, the angels command don't fear. God tells to fear. Um, but I think having no fear of God is actually, you know, exactly, it's obviously not doing not really yeah. well. So, one of my takeaways is I think, I think Job has a healthy fear of God and his friends maybe entertaining maybe you know, to one side or the other.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the, um, the Bible Project has a great video on holiness that kind of talks about that question of fear. And it, it talks about God. Um, sort of uh, and uses the metaphor of the sun so the sun is this life-giving force without it plants can't grow and uh, we wouldn't be able to eat and um, we need the sun and at the same time uh, getting too close to the sun is dangerous Uh, and it's not because the sun is bad it's just because it is so powerful Um, and I thought that was an interesting and helpful way to look at it and of course it's just a metaphor so metaphors break down at some point but uh, but I thought that was an interesting uh, analogy there so Anybody else have any thoughts on what does Job believe about God? What do Job's friends believe about God? And what is this book of Job telling us about who God is? All right, we'll move along then. So um, I think... Part of what I have come to in wrestling with this question of why is Job able to bring his whole self to God, even when his friends are telling him, nope, that's not something you should do. I would personally never do that. That's a recipe for disaster right there. Um, is because of the way Job views God. Um, his, his view of God is one uh, um, of... Um, someone who is there, somebody who is just, who is supposed to be just, who is um, supposed to be powerful and in control and operate the world uh, according to laws of justice, Uh, but also a God who is um, accessible, a God who hears, and a God who you're able to bring yourself to. Whereas Job's friends, in some ways, view God as this, um, uh, he's kind of removed from people and he's a little bit of a wild card and if you mess up in one way or the other, um, God's going to come after you. Almost um, almost a sort of a cosmic bully um, that has to be appeased um, at any time. And I think that makes a big difference. That's not somebody I would want to go to with my whole self, right? Um, that their image of God is one that um, I would be scared to, to be real with because uh, that God doesn't feel trustworthy. Uh, whereas Job's view of God, which I think aligns much more with what God says about God's self, uh, is one of compassion and justice and mercy and someone that we can bring our whole selves to. And so I think that for for me and for um, many people in this room, and uh, I'm a spiritual director, and so uh, my experiences of directing people is that oftentimes the way we view God is uh, through our wounding, so through family. If perhaps we have had a father who um, talked to us in unkind ways or who was abusive or who was distant, um, sometimes that... Uh, God can take on those um, attributes of our earthly father. Um, Or in our relationships, if we feel like we are constantly not good enough, or um, if we are not worthy of love and acceptance, I think that we start assigning those things to God. Or sometimes the way that our churches have used um, Scripture to bludgeon us to death with um, with unhelpful views of who God is that actually cause more damage than, um, than good. And so I want to explore a little bit of that. Um, so this is something I'm still wrestling through. So I, I would appreciate, uh, your feedback on this, but, um, we have this moment in in creation where God and Adam and Eve are friends with one another and they are close to one another and then we have this temptation and the resulting tumble uh, as John Mark Hicks likes to call it he doesn't like to call it a fall he calls it a tumble instead which I think is just delightful Um, but in this moment of temptation what the Satan um, the accuser is saying in that moment is hey Adam and Eve what God said about you is not true. God said that you were made in the image of God, but that's not true. If you eat this fruit, then you will be. And so this first moment of um, of rupture in the relationship came from God is not trustworthy, and you are not worthy. Um, God didn't actually make you in God's image you have to do something go get this fruit go um, you know lie to God whatever it is in order to find that worthiness whereas God says no I made you worthy to begin with Um, and here in Job, we have Job standing firm in who he is. Um, we have the Satan character again, and we also have his friends coming to him and saying, you're not righteous, you have done something wrong. And Job stands firm in who he is and says, no, um, I am righteous and I, I am worthy of justice in this moment. I am not seeing justice and I am worthy of that. And so he's able to stand firm in the truth of who he is uh, and what he believes about God. Um, he does not let what the accuser or what his friends uh, say about God impact what he believes about God. Uh, And so I think that's interesting the way that, um, you know, we've talked a little bit in the past about how this um, aligns with the creation narrative and I think that this is one example of that as well, is is how he differs in his temptation from Adam and Eve and what he ends up believing about himself and what he ends up believing about God. Uh, Any thoughts or pushback or anything on that? No,
1: I think what would have been hard to is one is one of your friends who mm-hmm. counsels you mm-hmm. differently than your yeah. How many
0: people have you now? Mm-hmm. to Yeah, Four. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his wife, if we count her. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah. Five people. Closest
1: people probably was who else came and showed up in his weakness. Right. So that's one rare people actually show up when you need them to. Yeah. Very, but... So now you've got five close people to do all saying the same thing. Yeah. That's, that would be probably more than I'd be. Yeah. I mean, if one against five, that's
0: the best thing to have in the world. Yeah, I would start questioning myself for sure. Maybe I'm the crazy one. Maybe I'm the one that's just not seeing something. Yeah, well, I
1: would assume
0: yeah. that. But for what I would be. Wondering. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Any other thoughts or comments? So another thing I want to point out is in in reading some of Job's laments, Job does have some wounding about how he's viewing God, which I think is coming out of this most recent um, uh, painful experience that he has had, uh, just like his friends do. But Job, at the end of the book, is not asked to repent, whereas Job's friends are. And I don't entirely know why, but I have two thoughts about this. Um, So Job says things like, God... Um, you're Where are you? You're, you um, are just picking on humans. Like you're an all-powerful God. And here I am, just a human, and you're picking on me. That's not fair. That's not just. Uh, and then also, uh, I have cried out to you, and you're nowhere to be found. Where are you? And so Job definitely has some woundings and some ways that he's viewing God that aren't necessarily true. Um, and his friends also do. So his friends say things like, who do you think you are? um, to, to waltz into God's (coughs) presence this way. Um, they say things like God is, uh, God is a judge. And so if you are experiencing this, it must be because you deserve it. Uh, and so they have some woundings as well. And so what, what is it that God asks them to repent and does not ask Job to repent? Does anybody have any thoughts about this?
3: Uh, Job hasn't doubted God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's, he's, you know, cried out to him and said, where are you? But he's not lost his faith. Right? Yeah. And um, friends are, like you said, treating God a lot differently than Job is. Yeah. And that's the only thing I can kind of run parallel to. The friends are asked to Job is not.
0: Yeah. So Job's questions draw him to God, whereas the the friends' questions draw them away from God. Um, and I think an added layer of that, too, is that um, I, I think God can handle the friends' wrestling as well. I, I wonder if what God is asking them to repent of is using their own wounded image of God to, to beat somebody else into submission. Uh, it's not their own internal struggle that I think he is... Um, asking them to repent of, it's foisting that wounded image of God on somebody else. uh, And then um, potentially having somebody else be harmed by an untrue version of God. And so um, the way that I'm reading this, with God being so compassionate, to be able to invite Job into God's presence and to allow Job to faithfully wrestle. I think God would do the same for Job's friends. One, I don't think they are doing that. I think their images of God uh, keep them from being able to draw near to God with those kinds of things. But at the same time, they're using um, their own images of God that are harmful in order to keep other people in line. And I think that that makes God angry. Um, And um, uh, he does not like to see uh, untruths about himself spread to other people. What are your thoughts about that? Does that resonate or
3: is that what they're saying? Is that, is that the sin that God has is condemning about? Is their view of him? Or is the sin that the friends really didn't have the right view of Job as friends? Oh,
0: and, that's a good question. In other words they
3: were they didn't see that Job was actually there, back in their mind again.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, which one is the sin? Um, excellent question. Um, I am open to your pushback and to your feedback on this. But when I hear the word sin, uh, what I think of is the things that draw us further away from God, and so um, for for some people. Um, alcohol draws them further away from God whereas some people are able to have a glass of wine and nothing happens with that some people uh, are occasionally angry and it's not that big of a deal and some people have this deep anger and bitterness that draw them away from God and so I think that when we're asking what is sin what we are asking ourselves is in what ways is this behavior drawing me closer or further away from God and so I don't I that's a great question when we when we get to that section to I'm just curious yeah the, yeah.
1: You're they are
0: yes it's a big deal yeah yeah and and I would I would say um, it could be both because in both cases uh, their view of God is drawing them further away from God but their view of God is also potentially set up to draw Job further away from God if Job hadn't stood firm and fast and had the faith that he did he could have also been pulled further away from God because of what they said about who God is
5: and I've often heard that the definition of mm-hmm. repent is to change your mind and to change your ways, right? So maybe maybe it is both, they're being asked to change their mind, but to quit beating someone up who they see suffering and assume something about that person's relationship with God. Um, in, in other words, maybe the bigger sin is how they're treating their friend. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yes? my yes. life, I don't know that it's unusual that that the peers around me would give me fabulous counsel. <laughs> um, you know, we, we live in a fallen world and we sometimes run with nice people but crazy people. Yeah. And so I don't know that's not normal for all of us. Yeah. As opposed to I mean, who has five uh, people who are spiritual guidance, you know, surrounding them all the time. Right. Not me. Yeah,
0: that's an excellent point. Yeah, and I don't want you to hear sin and repentance as uh, as this harsh judgment that can't can't be reconciled. Again, sin, if it's drawing us further away from God, the goal of repentance is to draw us back to God. And uh, and so I think that when we hear this word sin, it shouldn't fill us with shame. It should fill us with, oh, I could be. I could be closer to God than I am right now. I could do some things in my life to change that would let me be a little bit nearer to the God who created me and it shifts it from being shameful to, to being something to look forward to, I think. Yes? I
1: think um, the friends are kind of working with religious without necessarily a relationship. Mm-hmm. Job is all in a relationship yeah. and uh, it just brings my the new best in that of the Pharisees. They're supposed to be the godly that they don't have a relationship with God. Yeah. And then you have the Gentiles bringing God in who crazy sins, but, but the hardest thing is they're learning, they're trying to change, they're trying to go closer mm-hmm. to God, it's such a vast difference when you have one group that's doing the right thing, but no part in it. Right. And the other that's messing up big time, and they're striving to be in a relationship with God. <coughs> There's a no difference. Mm-hmm. And, a lot of you know they have a lot of religious people yeah. in the world and but they have absolutely no relationship with so then that makes what they say um, empty it's just like yeah it's their own wisdom not because they don't know that they're just
0: yeah that's a great point. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> um Again, honest wrestling is okay. Bludgeoning others with your God is not. Uh, there's a book that I have found helpful. It's called Your God is Too Small. I'm forgetting who it is by. I'll. Thank you, yes. Um, and uh, essentially it's, it's talking about um, various ways that we have come to view God, uh, that's, that limit God. And um, oftentimes when people have left the church or have left faith, uh, and they say I no longer believe in God uh, and then you have a conversation with them around um, why that is the um, their view of God is one that I wouldn't want to believe in either um, and so this book I have found tremendously helpful um, for me it's very it's very short uh, so I think if you were to, to snag it uh, it'd be an easy read but we'll go through um, some of those um, and and just, just as a caveat, when we go through some of these, some of these do have a kernel of truth to them, uh, so it's not like they're outright lies. I think that is uh, the Satan or the accuser's uh, best weapon, right, is to, to take a kernel of truth and to twist it and so that it becomes an untruth that is masked as a truth. Uh, and so some of these you might think, well, that's not that bad, uh, but when taken to um, poor conclusions can certainly be. So we have God as a judge, um, and again, uh, kernel of truth to that, but if we take this as God is this judge who is removed and far away um, and um, kind of this great cosmic, um, you know, old man in the sky who can't wait to, to nitpick all of the things in your life that you're doing right or wrong uh, versus God um, who, as we find in Job, uh, is willing to put God's self on the... Um, on the stand and not as the judge but as the person who the case is being brought against Uh, and I just I find that really fascinating. Uh, We also have God who's nowhere to be found or God who's not interested in human lives. Maybe God created this but God has stepped back and said meh let let what happens happens and I'm not involved anywhere Um, and if you cry out to me um, you might as well be crying out to to the wind. Uh, God is too busy with more important things um, and then similarly to that is who are you to question and so on the one hand we have um, how does my heartbreak how does my fear how does what's going on in my life compare with um, global hunger or war and famine or all of these things so I think sometimes we minimize the things in our own life because they don't seem that big to us um, and so that hinders a relationship with God uh, because we're not taking things to God because we think Meh, God is too busy working on more important things uh, and then the other side of that coin um, is because god is so big and so powerful who are you to question who are you to bring your questions and your wrestling into the uh into the space with this powerful god uh, then we also have God as the puppet master Who? Uh, it's kind of the exact opposite of the God who is nowhere to be found it is the God who is sitting up there and making every single thing happen in our lives and free will is nowhere uh, nowhere to be found uh, but every single thing about our lives is orchestrated by this giant uh, puppeteer and so what, what, what does it even matter what we do or what choices we make if God is the one making them for us uh, then we have the God who is disappointed in you uh, that voice in your head that says, you're just not enough. Oh, If only you read your Bible more. If only you prayed a little bit harder. Uh, if only you were just a little bit better. Man, if only you hadn't said that to that person in that moment, uh, Things you would be right with me. Um, and I think this one is one a lot of us struggle with, is uh, when we hear that voice in our head um, of shame, um, sometimes we assign that to God. Um, and I don't believe that is true, um, because shame always, I think, leads us to disintegration. Guilt can sometimes lead us to integration, to uh, change, into repentance. Uh, but shame always leads us to disintegration. Uh, and then we have the magnifying glass God, uh, who's like the kid on the playground with a magnifying glass who can't wait to like zap the ants with the with the little heat. Uh, this sinners in the hands of an angry God kind of uh, mentality of. Um, you know, I remember being a kid and thinking, what if, uh, you know, what if I get in a car wreck and my last word is a cuss word? And then, like, all of the good things that I've done in my life don't matter because in that moment uh, I have sinned and I have not asked for forgiveness, and then I'll go to hell. It's this this God who can't wait to just zap you. Um, it, am I the only one that did that? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Uh, and then we have the God who's trying to teach you a lesson. Um, and Elihu brings this up um, that well maybe maybe what you're being punished for isn't sin that you have done. Maybe it's to warn you away from sin uh, in, in the future. Um, and again, we have a kernel of truth to this, right? because there are things in our life, um, heartache and sickness and uh, death and a lot of other things that can teach us lessons but. yes absolutely (laughs) lesson learned Um, but does that mean that God did that to you in order to teach you something what kind of parent would you be if you pushed your kid into traffic just to show them that uh, they should look both ways before crossing the street right Um, what are some other wounded images of God that we might have that I haven't listed here do any of these resonate with you? Or any of these sound familiar to things you've believed or you've heard others believe? Yes.
4: There was something a little earlier. Your God is too small. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, uh, of course, my God is too small. to me that thinks of my God. And I'm too small to understand God. So praise and adoration would to a fear of primitive. Um, seems to be as good as we can get, but mm. we can't fully understand you know, yeah. God is so great. Um, yeah. But I, I was thinking that uh, nowhere to be found and mm. not interested in your life. God was from the beginning, and I struggled with whether God was reactive or proactive to save this is Satan's idea, got played off on of him, made a point, and eventually showed himself to Joe, and so we all didn't get that. <laughs> but, uh, or oh, was he reactive, or had he planned it all and simply was playing Mm-hmm. And I have a
1: feeling
4: that. Anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> There's a lot of others on the other side. That is only. <clears throat>
0: mm, yes like, yes excellent point
4: your mm-hmm. uh, you know, I it's has has no up.
0: expectations of you yeah. yeah
4: yeah
0: oh excellent point yeah uh i'll say for me uh another one that i personally struggle with and i'll i'll just be confessional here uh there have been moments in my life, um, uh, kind of paradigm-shifting moments in my life, where when I have surrendered fully to God, um, the end result eventually was great, but it hurt really bad for a while. And so I can sometimes find myself uh, this wounded image of God of, um, well, I can't fully trust God with that, or I don't want to fully bring that to God because I don't know how bad it's going to hurt, Um so that's that's something that I wrestle with in my, you know, when I go to spiritual direction. But just to be, um, you know, open and, and honest, uh, I think a lot of us have have these uh, views of God that um, get just a little bit twisted and cause us um, to not trust God and not be able to fully bring ourselves to to God. Anybody else have anything they want to share from here?
1: Thank you, uh, I apologize. This is my first Hello. time in Hello. class. I've it just over there the class as a whole seems to be negating the uh, in comment about God teaching the lesson and, and I'm just wondering how we view that conclusion in view of Hebrews 12 where God is depicted as a father chastising his son uh, so that he will learn obedience. yeah that's
0: a, that's a great question and again I think I think all of these have a kernel of truth to them, right? Because I think God does want us to grow and mature, and God does hope that uh, walking with God will teach us lessons about what is death and what does it mean to, to live um, like Christ. Um, but again, um, if if we have... Um, um, for, for instance, I have recently read a book, I think um, Roger talked about it a couple of weeks ago by Kate Bowler called... Um, Uh, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved and she was studying the prosperity gospel for her PhD when she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer and one of the themes that she heard a lot is that God was trying to teach her a lesson through her cancer and so what she interpreted that as is God gave me cancer in order to teach me to be more patient or all of these other things and so it's not that she can't learn lessons out of that because she has she wrote a whole book on it. Um, but to say that God did this horrible, awful thing to her in order to teach her something, um, that, man, I would struggle with that. I would really struggle with that. Um, yeah. Any, anybody want to push back on that? Again, I don't, I don't have all the answers. I think that's what Job teaches us, is that uh, the honest wrestling is the point, not to necessarily come out on the other end with all the right answers.
5: I'm not sure that, that I've really been exposed to this as well as you presented it today. But Yeah, I really like this characterization that there's a kernel of truth, or maybe even more in many cases, uh, a fundamental truth to, to many of these things, but it, it can get twisted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of what we saw when we began talking about the but Beldad, and far bringing to Job a retribution theology, are really a twist in it, mm-hmm. that fundamentally, yeah, that uh, our we do reap what we sow, right? right. We, we there are we get, there are um, results of, of our various actions, but to take that and twist it the way that they God are the way that uh, uh, we can twist any of these other images of God. I really hadn't thought
0: about that before. So yeah. that's a that's it. a good example of another. It's got some truth into it, so it rings it rings somewhat true, mm-hmm. and then that can lead us to <laughs> taking it. To an end that is not necessarily what it was designed for. Yes.
3: I, I don't have all the answers either, but just thinking about the difference between um, being taught a lesson by God and receiving you know, natural consequences for your behavior, um, I think that requires introspection yes. uh, more than anything to, to discern which is which. Because you know, if you're thinking about Job. Being dragged into this, God says, "Don't put a don't lay a finger on Job." But all the things around him have uh, been taken away. Uh, it just seems like Job's introspection has revealed to him that he's blameless, mm-hmm. which is what God says about the world Yeah. Um, but his friends don't don't can't see that right it's inside of him. And I think that's Job's uh, where Job gets his conviction because he's done Mm. that introspection and knows that it's it's not uh, a result of something that he did where the others can't see that. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's a great point.
1: Um,
0: So we also have to view uh, our image of God through the lens of Jesus, and we'll get into this a little bit later um, in a few more weeks, but um, when we think about God... Uh, especially as we read the book of Job, we have to know that we have more information than, uh, than the original audience. Um, we have Jesus, who is God, with us. And so when we think about images of God, um, one of the, the main things that we should remember is a God who loved us so much that God would become one of us, that God would be with us and suffer as we do. Uh, And so I I think that's a good framework to keep in mind. Uh, And then also, um, as you, on your own, if this sparks more conversations uh, among friends or around the dinner table or whatever, uh, when you're asking questions about, okay, so what is the voice of God or what is a wounded image of God versus what is, you know, uh, an image of God that is coming from God, uh, if it causes an increase in faith, hope, and love, uh, I I believe these are the words of St. Ignatius, it could have been somebody else but the first time I encountered them was with Saint Ignatius uh, that that um, if it is of God it causes increases in faith hope and love Uh, and if it leads away from faith hope and love and towards bitterness or anxiety unkindness towards self and others then that is not of God Um, and so again um, we can have kernels of truth uh, to things that get twisted and so um, to Dale's point uh, if we if we are introspective about things, we can maybe help sift out uh, where is the kernel of truth and what is not true about these things. Uh, and that doesn't mean that if something is sad or is that it's causing you to be afraid that it's bad because sometimes God does invite us into something that can be scary um, and that can, um, can you know, make big changes and differences in our life. Um, sorry, I didn't finish my thought there, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but I think it's our response to, um, uh, it's, it's, If it is leading us towards anxiety, if it's leading us towards bitterness, if the fruit of the spirit of it is not love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of those things, then the the question is, well, then, is it of the spirit? Is it of God? Um, Let's see. We are running out of time, so I will save these questions for later. Uh, But I want to pray this prayer over you. It's a little bit long. um, And so prepare yourselves to to listen well. I know it can be kind of a struggle to to sit and listen, but I invite you to because this is really powerful. Uh, And again, to go back to the question of honest wrestling, like Job is doing, uh, Job is is able to take his doubt and his uh, fear and his struggles and his anger at God to God. Uh, And so this prayer, it's from a book called Every Moment Holy. And if you haven't checked out this book, it is amazing. It has prayers. For uh, everything, it has prayers for when you're uh, when you have road rage and uh, when you're changing diapers and when you're doing laundry and when you're sitting around meals, and it literally just set, gives you an invitation to make every moment holy. Uh, but this one is called mm-hmm. a liturgy for nights and days of doubts. So let's settle in for a few minutes to hear this prayer together. I would that my heart was ever strong, O Lord, my faith always firm and unwavering my thoughts unclouded, my devotion sincere, my vision clear. I would that I dwelt always in that state wherein my belief, my hope, my confidence were rooted and certain. I would that I could remain in those seasons when assailing storms seem only to make faith stronger, proving your presence, your providence. But it is not always so. There are those other moments as now, when I cannot sense you near, cannot hear you, see you, touch you. Times when fear or depression or frustration overwhelm, and I find no help or consolation. When the sea walls of my faith crumble and give way to inrushing tides of doubt. Have I believed in vain? Are your words true? They seem so distant to me now. Is your presence real? I cannot feel it. Do you love me, or are you indifferent to my grief? Under weight of such darkness, how can I remember the sunlight of your love as anything more than a child's dream? Under the weight of such doubt, how can I still proclaim to my own heart with certainty that you are real? And so, Jesus, I do the only thing I know how to do. Here I drag my heavy heart again. Into this cleared and desolate space to see if you will meet me in my place of doubt, even as you mercifully met your servant Thomas in his uncertainty, even as you once acted in compassion, in compassionate response to a fearful father who desperately pleaded, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. For where else but to you might I flee with my doubts? You alone have the words of eternal life. This I know to be true, my Lord and my God. You are not in the least angered by my doubts and my questions, for they have often been the very things that lead me to press closer in to you, seeking the comfort of your presence, seeking to understand the roots of my own confusion. So also use these present doubts for your purposes, O Lord. I offer them to you. Even as the patriarch Job made of his pain and confusion a petition Even as the psalmist again and again carried their cries, their questions, their laments to you, so would I be driven by my doubts to despair of my own strength and knowledge and righteousness and control, and instead seek your face, knowing that when I plead for proof, what I need most is your presence. In your presence, I can offer my questions, knowing you are never threatened by my uncertainties. They do not change your truth. My doubts cannot unseat your promises. You are a rock, O Christ, and your truth is a bulwark that I might dash myself against until my strength is spent and I collapse at last in despair. Only then to feel the tenderness of your embrace as you stoop to gather me to yourself, drawing me to your breast and cradling me there where I find I am held again by a love that even my doubts cannot undo. O Lord, How many times have you graciously led me through doubt into deeper faith? Do so again, my Lord and my God. Even now, do so again. Amen. Go in peace, friends. We'll see you next week as we dig into God's response to Job.